Hi, I'm Marcus Peter Rempel. And I'm Alana Lewandowski. Welcome to The Ferment. Something good is rising. Welcome, listeners, to The Ferment. I want to say welcome, listeners, from uh, a lot of different corners of the world. I've been looking at our stats, and the biggest bulk is from Canada and the U.S., uh, as is to be expected. Just a few more of you in the States than in Canada. You've got us outnumbered for uh, for the time being. Um, but also, like, listeners of the ferment in Singapore, in the plurinational state of Bolivia, uh, Kenya, Poland, Croatia, Cyprus, um, someone in... Oman has downloaded two episodes of the Ferment. Uh, Honduras, Israel. It's it's kind of amazing to think that there's there's folks on all these little dots on the globe that that somehow have found their their way to us. So so welcome. And if uh, I think any of you who are out there far away, um, it would just be really fascinating to to hear from you sometime. Uh, about how how you found us and how you're finding us uh, in terms of uh, whether the conversation we're having here in Manitoba speaks to you. So welcome, diverse, global, village listeners to uh, The Ferment. I think probably we owe much of the, the, the widespreadness and the diversity of our listenership to uh, the fact that Alana has traveled the world with, with her music. And I, and I think I just want to say, if folks, if you haven't discovered Alana's music yet, and you're discovering here on The Ferment a conversation that makes sense to you, like, I just want to say, uh, Alana, your your music is music that I can pray along with. And that is that is saying something. Uh, that's that's pretty <laughs> rare for me. Uh, there's, there's really... You know, there's so often I find in, in so many different spaces of worship that I have to kind of have my my editing function uh, running in the foreground of my mind at, at some, you know, fairly uh, <laughs> dense capacity, uh, <laughs> just sort of like taking it, okay, this is, this is good for me, this is... This is lovely. Oh, that was toxic. We'll just put that to the side. <laughs> and, and um, you know, that's just part of living in a complicated world. And that's, uh, and, and that world is, remains complicated even in places of worship. But I just want to say it's just so, uh, so nice to, to encounter resources for prayer and worship where, where I don't have to have that mental machinery running because there's just, I can hardly think of a moment where there's been a line that's that's that hasn't rung true for me in in your music. So well, thank you. Um, so that's a that could be a whole episode talking about uh, about music <laughs> and worship and the roots of of what what worship is and and the how worship is can be um, organic and it can also be a result of empire and. Often wow. our heart, our hearts know the difference. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, like you know, just in the in w- what I've been up to researching the you know pre-Christian Roman Empire and how the you know the emperor became the god um, afterwards, and what that template looks like for us with Jesus, and mm. um, 
sort of an enforced temple building and worshiping of our deceased and uh, resurrected God and uh, the enforcement that came through that that was very similar <laughs> to uh, the Roman expressions of empire building. Mm. And I, I, for myself, as that, I mean, we could get into it, which we won't today, but for myself, that uh, rings very true to me as an artist and as a writer of, am I making music that's building empire? Am I making music that rings true to the depths and the core of, of, of my soul and the earth. And so the, you know, again, it's like we could have a whole episode where we talk about that, but it's yeah, definitely should, something definitely that should. I, yeah, we should do it. In the meanwhile, listeners, if you, if you want to find some uh, non-imperial worship music, uh, <laughs> go to alanalevandoski.com or find her on, uh, on Patreon. Alana, I want to ask you, uh, so we're, we're introducing Danielle Schroyer here for this episode. Um, Danielle is someone that came to, to us through your connections. H- how, did you, how did you connect with Danielle in the first place? Um, well, I, initially I, I saw Danielle speak on um, the work of the people. Oh, yes. Um, I just saw videos of hers and was very moved by her um, spirit and her presence and just, then, just say um, who, who, who's the, for people who don't know, what's the work of the people? So the work of the people is, was founded by Travis Reed, um, who, uh, has his own very interesting story. And, uh, he, he goes around and uses, uh, the medium of video and interviews some of the most incredible minds, uh, in spirituality, in particular Christianity. And, um, just gets them talking and he puts it into this medium of video with background music. And, uh, and often actually he uses, I've given him rights to, um, just instrumental versions of my music and you'll hear it a lot <laughs> underneath these folks that are talking and, um, which to me feels really, uh, succinct with my, mm, my yeah. vision of my music. And, and so, yeah, so that's what uh, the work of the people is. It's a it's a resource for churches as well and for individuals and very inspiring. You can walk through um, Lenten um, series and you, they often often churches are using it um, as as a way to bring in a, a different medium in, into the space. And so it's a it's a great resource. But um, that's where I first heard Danielle, and then. A lot of people um, were just sort of picking up on, on again, uh, some of the lines from my music and saying, have you read Danielle Schroyer's uh, original Blessing yet? It's just come out. And and so I ordered the book and um, was really taken with uh, the research that she had done and the, the work that she had done with that book and um, contacted her because I just... Uh, I wanted to just connect over that, over that book. Mm. And, um, since then we've, uh, connected, uh, off and on. And she has listened to my music, given commendations for albums. And I see her as, uh, a contemporary in, in this work. And so, um, yeah, I mean, she's, she's a very brilliant thinker and, um, also has just the most 
massive heart and it's so mm. obvious yep. that yep. she um she is very grounded in in this idea of original blessing she's grounded in this idea that there's something that shines through beyond anything else that is the truest of the truest of the true of of who we are and our origin and and so and she kind of uh, what i appreciate about her is that she very much lives it in her body and her her face and um her smile and so um i guess to introduce her a little bit more she's um she is a, an author and a speaker and a spiritual director and she was a pastor for a long time and she has a very i find pastoral heart and um she's one of the founding members of the emerging church movement as well so she she's got a huge heart for people who are in that process of deconstruction and uh and really you can tell it's this genuine this genuine desire to come alongside people as they're going through this without overstepping control or or trying to move them around like a chess piece it's more like i'm coming alongside you as you're going through this journey of deconstruction mm. and so she's i think very naturally gravitated towards putting her efforts now um, after, you know, being a pastor, um, she's got a BA from Baylor, an MDiv from Princeton. She, she's, be, she's become a, a spiritual director, which makes a lot of sense for her just the way she is. So, um, yeah, and she authored another book that I thought was great, which is um, called uh, Where Jesus Prayed. And uh, I've read that one. And then um, her first book, The Boundary, Breaking God, and Unfolding Story of Hope and Promise, was, I think it's being released this year again um, as a 10-year anniversary. So, mm. um, yeah, so that's that's Danielle. Yeah, and I, th I think she, uh, I'm, I'm so grateful to have her. It, it feels like uh, you brought her in, I, I brought James Allison in, and, yeah. and there's a kind of a nice <laughs> way that those two conversations bookended each other in talking about uh, with someone who takes original sin seriously and someone who takes original blessing very seriously. I would say they both take original blessing very seriously. Yeah, but I think there, that was there, so there is beautiful some creative to tension bring them between both. the two of them. Yeah. Um, I actually, I, I sent with the both of them uh, an article that I came across just this last weekend, which uh, it had to it had to do with introducing sort of Girardian theory into the the world of psychology, where it it doesn't it hasn't gotten a lot of uh, traction so far because it's I, I think well it it's it threatens in some ways the expressive individualism of that that tends to predominate, and and the other thing is just uh, it has some pretty specifically Christian connections that right that, that are a bit of a stumbling block in the academy, but. There's um, Frank Richardson and uh, Nicolette Manglis wrote an article on reciprocity and rivalry, and um, hmm. and one of the things they they the reason I shared it with both James and Danielle is they bring in some other thinkers who are pushing people who take Girard seriously, but who notice that he's really his work tended to focus on on the kind of uh, shallow and arbitrary desires of human beings. Um, mm -hmm. And and they said, you know, we really need to take seriously 
that that there is an existential appetite for the good in human mm. beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and and when I read that, I thought that's like that's Danielle's. That's what she's done. You know, she's she's named that existential appetite for the good for us. That that at the root, at the foundation of the human being, it's mm-hmm. not it's not depravity. That there is this this shining gem uh, that that just wants to come out and play, and and you just get that sense so so beautifully in the in the conversation with her. Yeah, um, and you get that like from people like Bishop Tutu, who's yes. always remarkably looking at at like what do people honor yeah. um, historically? Yeah, you know, he like how do who do we saint? Who like what are these like? You know, sure. There's people historically we look um, at uh, conquerors and you know people who quested and whatever, and they have a place in history, but they don't have the same kind of place in our hearts the way a Mother Teresa has in our hearts, or someone who um, selflessly changed the world. You know, like so. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. <laughs> I just, you know, it's funny you mentioned Bishop Tutu. I just got a book of his that he is a project he did with the Dalai Lama. The book. Oh, of I've Joy. read that book. I love that book. I, 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 I had to get it just for the photographs. There's this picture of, Isn't of the brilliant? Dalai Lama and dancing and Bishop Tutu, like making kissy faces. I know, and it other. was the first time the Dalai Lama had ever danced. He, <laughs> That's he, like they're uh, dancing this sort of boogie at the, on the back yeah. cover, and I was like, oh my gosh, I need to have this. This image, if nothing else. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful book. And, you know, it was the first time he, the Dalai Lama had ever danced, but he was the one who said, you have to get to know the rules before you can break them mm, properly or something yeah. like that. And and so to me, the broken rule of no dancing uh, with his beautiful friend in an ecumenical, this ultimate ecumenical brotherhood is so beautiful. Yeah. He looks kind of like a Mennonite dancing in that picture. <laughs> you can tell, well, you know, you can tell this is a little strange for him. This is a little awkward. Yeah. <laughs> these these He's, joints have never like quite moved. <laughs> yeah. But, and T- Bishop Tutu's got a lot of rhythm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just sort of put my arms out to the side and and bob around a little bit. <sighs> wow, we should get to to Danielle's conversation here. So I want to say thanks again, listeners for from all over the world, my goodness, for engaging and uh, and supporting the podcast. You can listen to us uh, on our website, on Spotify, uh, Google Play, iTunes, or uh, the podcatcher of your choice. Um, please take the time, if, if you're into what we're doing, uh, go to iTunes and, uh, and give us a rating. Uh, it really helps raise the profile of the podcast and just help other people that are uh, are into this particular corner of the conversation uh, help help find us uh, on the internet uh, you can like and follow us on instagram facebook twitter we have a mailing list uh, you can find that on our on our website to click and and keep up to date with us that way and if you ever yeah if if you have suggestions uh, who we should be talking to uh, just uh, how the conversations are stirring your own thoughts uh, feel free to Email us anytime at the ferment podcast at gmail.com. And, uh, and now uh, we hope you enjoy uh, as much as we did the interview with Danielle Schroyer. 
Danielle Schroyer, welcome to The Ferment. Thanks for having me. Danielle, with, with two simple words, original blessing, you've written a book that's, that's really kind of uh, upset the apple cart of Eden. <laughs> and I, I like that image of, of apples because just, just like um, we have this image of, of the apple being uh, part, of, part of that story of Eden when, in fact, a closer reading of the text there is no apple. Um, you've done a, a very thorough reading of of the text uh, that brings us back an understanding that that there is uh, no original sin to speak of in that in that story either, and uh, which is a obviously a, a daring and radical move to make. I was I have to say I was reminded of um, reading your book. I was reminded of there's a there's a movie uh, about the life of Hildegard um, of Bingen called vision and it the the very the very beginning of the movie there's uh Hildegard has a a very dear friend in this monastery that she's she's joined who who dies of self-inflicted wounds really from this uh this belt uh that as a kind of a form of penance she's she's lashed this belt around herself uh and uh it's it's the age when when mortification of the flesh is a is a form of Christian piety and there's there's literal self-flagellation going on as a way of of participating in in the the passion of of the cross uh, and and people are doing real damage to their their bodies and Hildegard is preparing the body of her friend for burial and she finds this she she takes off her robes and she finds this 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 nasty wound uh, that's killed her friend uh, at a at a young age, and she it's it's re- it's really the beginning of the end of that kind of mortification of the flesh as as a form of piety for Hildegard, and and really because as a as one of our early and important women theologians, uh, she she puts an end to it, or is, is part of putting an end to it for Christianity in general, and it it becomes something that that fades away and and it seems like there's your your project is is similar in in how how big a change uh it's pushing for and and a and a kind of a sense of the damage done and through a, a really sick reading of of the doctrine of original sin and i i wonder if we could begin this conversation with just asking the question who who have you seen hurt uh, that you, you know, people you care about, uh, by, by this way of thinking about original sin. That's such an apt metaphor for the reason why as a pastor, I felt so burdened by the doctrine of original sin and what it was doing to people in their practical spiritual lives. Um, because even though people don't tend to go to that extreme anymore, that is still exactly what's happening for so many kids who grew up fundamentalist or, you know, with, with this sense of shame, whether that was in, you know, evangelicalism or Catholicism or something in between. And for me as a pastor, that it just broke my heart that there was such a gap between what I wanted them to see in the Christian life and what they felt they were allowed to feel or experience. And so mm. much of that that space and distance had, you know, had 
all of these trouble spots because the doctrine of original sin was just tripping them up, just constantly blocking that road to a more wide open space. You know, I talk in the book about um, how in Hebrew, the word salvation means wide open space. And it's the sense that that original sin are like these, it's this boulder, these boulders that you put in the way of people getting to that wide open space where they can, you know, rest in their own belovedness enough to be able to face their sin in a way that is actually constructive and not destructive and, and painful and not life affirming. So that's exactly right. And it's apt that you start with Hildegard because I love her. And I quote her almost every time that I talk about original blessing and I quote her in the book um, because she says this beautiful thing that is really the point of original blessing, which is that as children, we are born with wisdom like a tent. And as we go through our lives, it's our job to start setting up our tent of wisdom so that eventually we can begin to live in it. And for me, that's the goal mm. of spiritual life, right? Like this is what Jesus taught us is that we are we have the wisdom. It's a developing capacity. It's a folded up tent. But as we go, the, the goal is for us to begin to actually be able to live and reside in the sanctuary of, of the wisdom that we're born with. And that's what original blessing is trying to get us back to. That's such a beautiful image of both like growth uh, and, and starting with something good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, potential, you know? The tent isn't livable yet, but it but it has that possibility um with you know, with the work that we do to help set it up. We we have everything that we need. Mm-hmm. So Danielle, not all of us come from a theological background. And so a lot of a lot of us are actually uh we don't even know where this this term comes from (laughs) and we think it sort of comes from like you know the beginning of time um could you give us a quick recap on where and when the term original sin originated sure i should also say too that the term original blessing has been around since the 80s and it was coined by matthew fox to whom i offer a deep mm-hmm. and reverent bow. Uh, and people said, well, aren't you going to come up with another name? And I said, no, Matthew Fox already coined the exact perfect phrase and we're sticking with that. That's what this is called now. That's how it's known. And it ought to be known by that. It's the perfect name for it. Um, but original sin has certainly been known throughout time um, in different ways. And um, it's Mostly, I know people say that it begins with Augustine, and that's partly true, although you can see sort of signs of of the doctrine coming together sort of before and after that. But Augustine is the one who, because of his intellectual prowess and his notoriety, is the one who really put it on the map. And then it sort of was like a a snowball at the top of the hill, and it started rolling down, and and we kind of lost lost control of it. Um, Partly that's because I, I think, too, that fear is a compounding energy. And that can be a dangerous thing. And so that, that sort of snowball rolling down the hill when it's, when it's based on fear and when it's based in human weakness, it can, also, it can often really become powerful. We're seeing that in the world right now, that that can be a really dangerous compounding mm. energy for people. Um, so the, the phrase itself, you know, started, 
there isn't a particularly interesting story about it, but it certainly became assumed that that in that story in Genesis three, when the man and the woman, the earthling man and the earthling woman, um, take from this tree and eat it, that something critical happened in their human nature. That something broke uh, or was torn. Um, for all time, and that that moment where this human nature was shattered, we has it's been passed on to us, and so everyone who has been born since Adam and Eve has not this perfect nature that we were given in the garden, but this broken, um, imperfect nature that is that is bent towards sin in a way that really pushes our human nature towards something negative. So we've all heard that phrase, or that we've all sort of seen that depiction of the the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other shoulder, you know, the cartoon of, oh gosh, which, which conscience are you going to listen to? That's actually a decent picture of original blessing, right? The idea that we're constantly having to choose between the knowledge of good and evil. But what, what mm. original sin does is that it basically says that there is no angel on our shoulder. We just have that devil on our shoulder, and that's the one that we hear, and that that's that's literally the the natural state of of our human nature, and people always balk when I say that because they're like, "Wait, no, I grew up fill in the blank Methodist, Presbyterian, Episcopal. We don't think that." But if you look at the way that the doctrine is is written in their statements, there mm-hmm. are it exactly says that it says that they we are inclined to evil continually. There are three or four that use that exact phrase. We're inclined to evil continually. If you look at the Lutheran one. I mean, it basically says that we, there's there's nothing but evil within us. So you can understand how this concept of, oh gosh, humans aren't perfect, turned into this concept over time through language um, and understanding that we actually aren't capable of goodness. And then what happens is that it places all of our mm. goodness outside of us, uh, which is a problem because, you know, Jesus embodied human nature and you know, we know that the combination of the human and divine is what makes Jesus our savior. But to say that our human nature is completely devoid of goodness says something really terrible, not only about us, but about God, right? Because hmm. what ha- what happened to the goodness that came to us in Genesis 1 that God was so effusively declaring when God said, it is very good? Um, yeah, yeah, wow. The indigenous Christians I talked to just recently, I, I, one of them, uh, Adrian Jacobs uh, at the Sandy Soto Spiritual Center, was saying to me, you white people, you read the Bible at, starting at Genesis 2, and uh, you, you forget <laughs> that, the, that the story begins with goodness and ends in goodness. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, it, because exactly that point you're making about Genesis 1, that's, that's, the, that's where we begin. Yes. And I think we actually start at Genesis 3 because Genesis 2 sets the stage for us to understand that that the intent for human life was never meant to be in the garden anyway. Genesis 2 is like, hi, there's this entire world that I've created for you to to live in. And the garden is this tiny, tiny part of that. 
And, you know, if we don't read Genesis 2 before we read Genesis 3, then we have this, we start to get this sense that that God had set it up so that we'd stay in this garden forever and never leave home and, you know, just be these <laughs> perfect immortal beings who never make a mistake. And that was, that was not the intention. If you read Genesis 1 and 2, you get a sense exactly of where God's going in the story, that this is a story not about uh, a destination or a, a stagnancy in a garden, but it's a journey towards wisdom that will require things to get really messy. Yeah, that's that's such an interesting reading of of the story not as an expulsion but as a coming of age story. Do you maybe just want to unpack that for us just a little bit more of how in the book you you give us that story as as not uh, a story of banishment but a story of of growing up. Sure. So the Hebrew term for that word that we have always translated in English, banished, is weselehehu. And so the fun thing about Hebrew is that a word can mean a whole bunch of things, and sometimes they're related, and sometimes they actually are distinct in tone in ways that can really change a passage. And so you have to be you have to be careful about that. Sometimes it's obvious how to translate it. And I think it says something about our preconceived notions about what Genesis 3 was about, that we have always chosen in English to use the word banished, which is one of the possible <laughs> meanings. Um, but the other meanings are all more like being sent forth. It's more like a benediction. Um, so I looked in scripture where else that was used. And I talk about this in detail in the book, but it seems to me that the couple of other times it's used in scripture, it's after it's used as a declaration of sending forth in peace after some sort of a, a skirmish or a, a quarrel with someone. And sometimes that quarrel was one-sided. Like in in David's case, he has this this little incident and he's he's been fine about it the whole time but the other person feels like maybe he wasn't and so he wastes them with some gifts as a way of saying we're fine here you know go in peace mm. and so mm. um if we imagine okay so why are we always using the term banished when we could be using the term sent forth and if we look at the tone of the passage as a coming of age story this idea that God never intended for the earthlings to live in the garden forever. The intention was always for them to go until the land and and grow life outside of the confines in the garden. Then we don't see them leaving as a bad thing. We see it as, you know, a certain timing perhaps that it, the timing got changed around based on this little teenage rebellion that they had. But that the intention of course always was for God to send them forth. And we look at the the actions of God in that passage and we notice actually that they're benevolent, that God gives them really comfortable clothes and that God tells them truthfully about what's waiting for them out there, which is that life is hard and that it's going to it's gonna take them and it's going to cause them pain to bring life from the earth and from their bodies. And that's, that's like a parent sitting their kids down before they go to college and saying, you know, lock your car at night and, and don't forget to take your vitamins. And this is stuff that you do when you love someone, you tell them to be prepared for the big wide world. And so seeing that as God sending them out, out to vocational school, right. To become farmers and um, all of that is, is to me a much more faithful way of seeing the whole story when it hinges all together between Genesis one, two and three. I, I love, um, how in your book, too, Original Blessing, that you asked the question, 
how could we be separate from God? Where would that be exactly? It reminds me of the psalm we chant every week in the morning, where can I go from your spirit, O God? Or all these um, passages that talk about um, how it would be impossible to be separate. Mm-hmm. And, you should uh, sing it, Alana. What's that? I said you should oh, sing we, it. <laughs> well, we just do it very simple so that the kids can be involved if they want to be. And it's just, where can I go from your spirit, O God? Where can I go from your spirit? It's just mm. that. Mm. And so we do all of the psalms that we chant every morning are sort of focused on this concept of how, you know, even in these ancient psalms, there's this this idea that we aren't separate. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just, I'd like for you to maybe talk a little bit more about that because one of the one of the things about this idea of sin is that you know you're not saying that we don't sin but you're saying that it's not the origin of who we are and we've got this idea that we're separate you know there's this schism that's there and that's why we get these tracts you know of the Jesus being the bridge and all that so um <laughs> as you've been like looking at this this question, where would that be exactly? Can you talk a little bit about sin as being maybe something that God can be around? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I have to say one of the other pieces of feedback that I've gotten from the book is people saying, you know, well, that just sounds great. I'm sure I'd love to to believe in that, but you know, I have to live in the real world and it's bad. You know, we do, we do terrible things. We do evil things. And, um, my response to that is, well, yes, of course, but there's literally nothing more selfish or prideful than believing in the doctrine of original sin. It's ridiculous. (laughs) You're saying that you as a human person have the capacity to exile God from your being, you know, that's, mm. that is <laughs> offensive to the creator to say, oh, no, I know that God declared me very good and said that I bear God's image, but I have the power within myself to, to break it. <laughs> you know, I mean, wow. that's the cockiest human thing you can potentially ever say. So to me, original blessing, yes, comes from our nature. And it simply comes from that because God has chosen for that to be true. And it is an act of deep humility, not only toward ourselves, but toward other people when we acknowledge original blessing. So it's not selfish or prideful, or it doesn't have this connotation that everybody's okay and it's rainbows and kittens and puppies all the time. It's the exact opposite. It's that we acknowledge that we live, you know, as embodiments of the divine image and that God has, has asked us to not only live in that and um, to, to recognize that in ourselves, but to live out of that in the way that we act in our lives. And so it's not only a, a place that we call home, but it's also a calling toward the kind of person we're called to be. So everything is connection. Everything is connection. Not because we want it to be that way because it sounds good to like the yoga crowd. It's it's just true. It's just plain true. That's Genesis 1 and 2. Um, 
And so for mm-hmm. me, I in the next in the second half of the book, I I try to sort of recast our understanding of what sin means because it gets so complicated, right? When we when we make it just simply internal about ourselves. So for me, um, sin is an act of disconnection. It is the acts that we do, and we all do them all the time. We do them, you know, intentionally and unintentionally and just by being part of the system of human nature that does this, right? And the human systems that we've erected. But we deny the connections that live between us. But that is what sin is. It's the way that we disembody the divine image in us and in others and the divine beloved community that God has asked us to live in. When we desacralize the world in that way, we are sinning, Mm. right? Mm. So um, when we see sin as an act of disconnection, we have to come to terms with our responsibility for that. We have to realize, oh, no, I have everything I need to fix that within me. You know, I have the I have the power to do something, um, but we do that only because we acknowledge that God has designed the world to be a place of deep connection. So it requires us to have a, a sense of the world that is holy and that acknowledges that we are all interconnected, not just humans, but plants and apricots and bunny rabbits and rivers, that this is all part of the sacred world that God has made for us, and that we are we are to, to honor the connection that we have in all of those spaces. And when we don't do that, we're moving away from the life-giving abundance of God. I love, I love that, 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 picture you're drawing us into of of reclaiming original i mean what you're really saying with original blessing is original connection and connectedness with with each other with god with the creation and and i think you are you are outlining a pattern for us in terms of like how how we maybe you don't want to say tend towards disconnection but but there there is a kind of human condition there is a pattern to the ways we get stuck. Um, and I, and I wonder, uh, we had, we had James Allison on the, on the podcast recently. And, um, I noticed that his book shows up in your, uh, your bibliography, yes. uh, The Joy of Being Wrong, which is still my favorite title ever, uh, <laughs> for a book of theology. And then the, the subtitle is Original Sin Through Easter Eyes. And there again, it's, 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 I think you and Allison are really wrestling with, with very much the same, the same issue. He moves towards reinterpretation, uh, where you move towards, uh, repudiation of the idea of, uh, original sin. And I, I think when, when you were talking just now about that, that sense of having everything we need within us to, to fix the problem, it does it does seem to me that the question arises then like what what is the revelation and the work of the cross what is the necessity of the cross in in that picture with with Allison I I get this like he has this this sense of uh, that that sin is something that can only be revealed through a kind of backwards glance we can't we can't really figure out what we were doing in, in, uh, and, and he's very much, uh, ties the cross with Gerard to, to a scapegoat event and, and the way that humans tend towards scapegoating, which is another kind of disconnection of, of ourselves with the other. But we, we have this tendency to do this thing to kind of push our, our spiritual gunk onto some, 
someone else, some scapegoat, so that we can be friends with each other again. And with with Allison, you get the sense of Jesus goes to the cross to kind of reveal the game, to to pull the veil from our eyes in terms of like this is a broken game. It's 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 based on lies, and it's once we're forgiven, we can see the game. It's it's only it's only it's it's like it's like the the honesty that's required to come to grips with the human condition has to be uh, preceded with this radical act of of forgiving love, and uh, and so so he's so anyway so that's his his way of kind of reinterpreting original sin and and its relation to the the event of the cross. Um, you clearly felt the need to go one step further than reinterpretation uh, to to repudiation of original sin. And I, I, yeah, what would you say about why you felt that it was necessary to go that extra step? So I love that book as well. It was the most fun conversation partner that I had. And I've been able to meet James Allison mm. on a couple of occasions, and we've had great conversation about this you know, in a pub, uh, talking about sort of the distinctions between my conclusions and his, and he's sort mm. of my, he's my favorite original sin sparring partner. So I, I hold him in such high esteem. And I do say, well, if you're going to read a book about original sin, most of them are trash. That one is excellent. <laughs> so <laughs> I do love, um, what he's trying to pull out and I agree with it. Um, I do feel, however, that we we come to this inevitable conclusion that you where do you think that transformation happens and how do you think that that comes about? And for me as a pastor and as somebody who, when I look around at my own spiritual heroes, none of them place God outside of themselves or their human nature. You know, the reason that Desmond Tutu is so powerful is because he knew that he had the power with with the work of the Holy Spirit within him to do what he mm. did. Mother Teresa, despite her doubts, knew that she had the agency within her to do beautiful things for God. And in the way that I see them working out their spirituality— I only, for me personally, my spiritual heroes are those who embody an original blessing understanding of the world, that they begin with that connection. And that connection does lead to this sense of humility that I think Allison is asking of us. Um, but I don't think that you get there unless you go all the way to original blessing. I just think it's so, for me, it, it's just, you know, it's it's an absolute line in the sand that you either decide that we have a human nature or a sin nature. And those two things have very, very big consequences in the way that we embody our faith. And that's just a deal breaker for me personally. Um, I think as a pastor, you know, when people understand original blessing, it's like, you can see the transformation start to unfold in a way that is just I think divine and ordained, you know, that, that sense that, Oh, mm. I can, I can rest here, but also I can grow from here. And I do not see that in people, um, in the same way that are holding on to this concept of original sin. So I, I often have said, you can have everything you need about original sin. That's good. 
while holding to original blessing. You know, original sin as a doctrine Mm. has certain things to tell us that we need to hear, but you don't lose any of those important essential things when you hop over to original blessing. You get to keep them because you can say that the cross is partly a description of mimetic theory and scapegoating, where you realize that you're part of this game that is just going to, it's just a losing game. It's ridiculous. And when your eyes are open to that, you experience, you know, an awakening and a transformation and salvation in the way that, that that is revealed to that, to us through the work of Christ. But I also don't want to just say that's the only thing that the the cross means. I mean, to me, anyone that wants Mm. to say it just means one thing, regardless of how complex and beautiful that one thing is, it just makes me so very nervous. So yes, it was about that. It was also about principalities and powers. It was also about religious authority and the authority of the empire. It was also about just human service. It was also about Jesus being present to suffering in the world. It was also about the fact that death is part of Mm. human life. You know, we could just go on and on and Mm. on that the cross means all of these things. And so for me, obviously, if you had to pick one thing to say about the cross, Allison's view is is a better one than substitutionary atonement, right? The idea that, well, Jesus, Jesus died for your sins and that's that. You know, that's a better one, but it's still just one. So I think that... um that's a deal breaker for me as well to say that to to do anything that limits the depth and expansiveness of what the cross embodies. I mean, I just, I think I've said this to you guys before, but I just, I can't even fathom the mystery of it. I just think about it and I've read about it and I've, you know, it brings up all these emotions. And I hope that when I'm 85, I still feel like I just don't even know what the cross means because it's such a powerful Mm. experience that I don't, I don't think there's an end to it. I think it's just an an unending wellspring of meaning and metaphor and, you know, I, I'm not sure that we'll ever come to the full knowledge of, of, of what it is. And I think that's the point that, that we live in the mystery of that in a way that, that compels us towards Christ. That's really rich. And, uh, I, and I think I'll just add just in, in, in James's, uh, defense, perhaps we, we asked him, I asked him a question that when we, when we talked to him that kind of pushed this sense of the primacy of original, sin onto him and he really actually pushed back so i I think just to be clear in terms of where his position is it's like original blessing for him is is more original uh than original sin yes but but he's he's still he's still working with original sin but he's he is definitely on the side of like it all begins with he uses this word anteriority you know the the, the frontness of 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 the overwhelming affection of God is is where it begins for him also. Yes. I would say he thinks original blessing is in Genesis one. Yeah. And it's gone by Genesis three, but at least he acknowledges it in, in Genesis one. Right. Um, So yeah, I've joked that we're kind of two sides of the same coin that I say, Oh, original blessing, but also sin. And he says, Oh, sin, but also blessing. Right. Um, But for me, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. Which I totally understand that. But for me, you know, putting blessing first is, is just, it's a deal breaker. All right. Half time. This is when we open up the virtual guitar case, pass around the virtual collection plate. 
If you like what we're doing here, think about throwing some money in. We do this because we love it, but we also love our families. The hours we put into this podcast are hours we owe to them. They freed us up to do this work. Help us give something back. Throw in a 20, throw in a dollar, it's all good. Just click on the Patreon link. You can make a one-time donation, or you can commit to something regular. Even something small but regular makes a big difference. Regular contributions mean a regular gig for this artist and this preacher. It lets us chase the dream and not the dollar. Enough said. Back to the reason you're here and we're here today. That actually leads me into my next question. My next two questions really are going to be about sort of some of the collateral damage that original sin. I mean, you could go on and on about it, but something I've been I've been observing when I bring in science and the world of science and rational humanism and all the this, you know, as we move from how even even within science, it's still swimming it within the waters of, to me, the West being very influenced by original sin. So, for instance, even atheist scientists, they've been uh, far more apt to look at tooth and claw, like, you know, nature, red and tooth and claw, versus the immense cooperation and interconnectedness that nature expresses like 95% of the time <laughs> and also just their how prone we are to look at that versus the cooperation and symbiosis of nature and also um when darwin was doing his observations um just above and beyond when he saw what was happening with natural selection he also observed tribes and this led to uh you know, the dangerous, uh, it was inadvertent for him, but it led to very dangerous ideas like eugenics. Mm-hmm. And so I I don't know if you want to speak to this, uh, Danielle, but to me, I actually place a lot of the blame um, for the, the direction science took, even, you know, secular post-religious science took in observing kind of the 5% of what would be seen as negative in terms of like, you know, the lion needs the wildebeest and so on and so forth. Um, but just how original sin is, is uh, to me quite influential in that world because it, it's, it's asking us to look at this one thing all the time and not looking at all of the other stuff that's remarkably beautiful. Anyway, it's just... If you could maybe speak to that, that's something that I've been observing. Yes, <laughs> we could talk for a long time about this. So one of the reasons it's a deal breaker for me is because our ideas are so important. They matter. Our theology matters in how we view the world. I mean, the paradigm that we choose to see the world through is it has 
just endless consequences. And so, you know, at the beginning when I, when I, I've calmed down a little bit about, about it now, but I was very soapboxy a few years ago as I was in the midst of this project and, you know, people would say, well, I mean, what do you think has changed because of it? I'm like, everything, everything in Western civilization (laughs) has been affected by this. And people are like, uh, uh, you know, but I really do believe that it's true. Um, so just as we, again, we could talk about this forever, but if you look at sort of the modern project, right? The idea of Descartes. Think of Descartes, okay? Here he is sitting there mm-hmm. saying, I think, therefore I am. The concept that he can separate himself from reality. Guess what you have to think about first? That you can separate yourself th- from the reality of God. Like, those are the same things. The 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 prideful, selfish isolated, insulated concept of the objective observer is the same kind of ridiculousness (laughs) that is original sin that says, oh, I was given this nature, but I have the capacity to destroy it, right? Like, oh, I was given this scientific mind, so I have the capacity to be this outside objective observer of it. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um, the world and the best scientists understand that everything is connected. And the more that we learn through quantum physics and neuroscience and the human science, I mean, everything that we're learning, and I am not a scientist, but I read about them and I read their books, um, trying to understand the beauty of what they do. But what we're learning is that everything is connected, right? And, um, certainly that's, that's to your point, um, we're understanding the bias through which in modern times we've looked at systems and thought of them mechanically or even only seen the aberration of the system and not the holistic uh, intention of the system. And we've built up, you know, laws and, and descriptions around the aberrations rather than the, the majority, right? And hmm. this is all coming from a concept of the world being disconnected, that that's, that that's the nature of the world is the sense of flaw and it, flawed disconnection, but also the sense that we can somehow be outside of it and observe it. And in Original Blessing, you know, you're, you're plunked again right into just the mess of things for better and worse. So you understand that, that the whole world is connected and that trees and ants and bees might actually be running everything, you know, that's, that doesn't, that isn't as far fetched when you realize that the world was designed for that. You know, the idea that we can't be classified into racial classifications, but that we are all, we all have this shared human history. I mean, the, the way that that plays out in, in human life and in the systems and institutions that we create and the way that we create laws and understand what human freedom looks like. I mean, it all is affected by this modern concept of individualism that is, that is strictly tied to me, to the influence of Western Christianity on the world. Um, I mean, look at the way that Western Christians look at sin. It's so individualized and particularized, particularly in America. I don't know about as in Canada as much, but you know, the American Christian system is like, I sinned on Friday night and Jesus died for that exact thing. You know, just also just the cockiest thing in the world, you know, that 2000 years ago, Jesus was thinking about you (laughs) hooking up with that one girl at a party. Like, okay. 
Um, but that is how it's described. And again, that's entire that's entirely coming from this ridiculous worldview in which you are that important. Again, you know, um, I tell my my Calvinist and and Reformed friends, you know, if you want to be Reformed, you should believe in original blessing because otherwise you're just putting yourself at the center. And they scoff and sometimes laugh, but I really do believe that's true. It's the, it's the most Reformed thing you'll ever hear me say is that it's offensive if you believe that God is the creator and redeemer and sustainer of all things for you to think that you're that big of a deal. Um, so in original blessing, you have to embody this humility, right? This humility that like you're one part of this huge tapestry of, of the created order and you are here to do your part, but also you can't possibly do your part without being connected to all the other people who have to do their part. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we rise together and we fall together and gosh, if climate science, if climate science isn't going to teach us that at the end of the day, then I don't know, you know, I don't know how many more science life lessons we need to see to recognize that, that, you know, original blessing is a, is a theological statement, but it makes sense in regard to, to everything, to the way that we understand human psychology and the way we understand environmentalism. And, you know, yeah, I could go on and on, but yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm very much reminded of a, of a pattern I learned from Ivan Illich of, of when, when you talk about the, the really perverse role of Western Christianity in the world and, and its dominating role in terms of getting us askew in certain certain ways uh, he he has this he he taught me to see in christianity this pattern of there's a there's a there's a new kind of goodness that's prone to a new kind of evil that comes into the world uh with christianity and and uh i i've just found that way of looking at it uh very illuminating and uh the the way in, i mean you talked about individualism like i think there is like that is very a very western uh way of of being and 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 like not everything about individualism is bad like i think we are that culture that's learned to say that there is a good that sometimes involves walking away from the collective right. uh rather than kind of joining the herd uh it's it's just that we've we've turned it into a kind of a new a new sort of monster that in in many ways is is much more dangerous than than the old monsters we've lived with and maybe i can segue this i um i wanted to ask a question about how your your sense of of original blessing is different from say the power of positive thinking which is um that's 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 another way in which maybe it, this particular culture expresses its individualism and and puts the individual kind of at the center of you know living my best life and uh it's it's up to me to uh you know think in a certain way be be in a certain way and then and then i kind of uh i can sort of start everything over anew mm-hmm. it it seems to me that you're some saying something that that has a lot of the 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 riches of that of of that project but it's 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 denser it's more complex there uh, so just talk to me about the difference between original blessing and and the power of positive thinking. Yes. So the simplest way to say it is, if the power of positive thinking worked, Jesus would have never died. He did everything right. 
he was a positive thinker. Mm. He said good mm. things. He was always he was always looking for the good in people and he was murdered, right? So mm. there is something there's something scandalous about the cross because it it upends our idea of cause and effect that if you just do the right things and do what God asks you to do that that mm. your life is going to be great. That's re- that, of course it isn't. If you do what God asks you to do, you may get crucified. And so there's that there's something scandalous to that that is in tension with our own scriptures, which says, oh no, you're still asked to do those things and that you will have natural, intentionally designed good results that come from that. Also suffering, you know, you don't have to go seek it out, but just when you are a, a just righteous person in the world, that also will involve suffering, that there's no way you can have one without the other, which is partly why I think God, again, had that little before you go off to college conversation with Adam and Eve about like, listen, when you till Mm. the land, you're going to bring blood from your body when you till the land. It's going to be hard. You know, when you, when you have a child that comes from your body, it is going to create pain. You know, this sense that, um, there's such sort of mm. mythical mystery in that 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 with the the giving of life and the bringing of life there is there is going to be suffering it's not and i i don't want to say go look for suffering or suffering is um well i want to say suffering is inevitable it is it's an inevitable part of of human life but but it's not don't get martyry about it you know what i mean don't become like a like an mm. intentional martyr mm. about it it's just the natural way of things that there are there are these tensions in the world that no amount of positive thinking is going to get you out of like you can have positive thinking all the way and it's not going to do anything um so obviously last night or yesterday in the us a lot of our our news coverage was about um president bush passing and um there was something on the news last night about his daughter who as you know was 3 and she died of leukemia and um there was this excerpt mm. of of president bush talking about how he just pray he said he's never prayed that hard in his life he just Every day, like hourly was just praying, God, please save this beautiful girl that I love. And he said, you know, of course it didn't work out that way. And it's a mystery. Like it's a mystery why sometimes our prayers don't work out. And, you know, he said, I still have, I carry a pain from that to this day that I lost my daughter and I, I love her and I, do, I don't know why she died. And so, you know, that's in my mind because I just saw that last night, but you know, there's no amount of positive thinking that that got rid of that leukemia. And so what do we say to people in positions like that, which is most people, it's going to be right. most of us, right? At some point in our lives, we can't just we can't just rely on on, you know, this this positivity to get us through. We have to acknowledge um in truth that we have to sit with suffering and realize that that it's a true part of human life and that sometimes we just have to sit with it and trust that that um, goodness can still come in our lives, maybe not from that exact situation even, but that there's a way that God can bring goodness into life even after things like that happen. And um, yeah, I think without, I think without sort of the, the honesty of that understanding of suffering in the world, you know, original blessing would not be viable as an idea, it would not be a viable way to look at the world, but thankfully you don't, you don't, I mean, it almost asks you 
to be open to the suffering in the world in a way that original sin can get you off the hook for, right? Original sin says, well, we're all mm. sinners. You know, someone just the other day, I was speaking to a group on Sunday um, about the book and he said, well, why is it if it, this sounds like such a great idea, why don't we just, why, why would we believe in original sin instead? And I said, well, it's very easy. It's because it's easier, you know, to believe in original blessing it requires a lot of us. It asks us to see everybody else's beloved, mm-hmm. which good luck with that, you know, as an American right now, that's a tough thing to do looking at who's in power and thinking about, oh, God loves everyone. That's that's a tough pill to swallow that I'm connected to people that I don't want to be connected to. Um, and mm. that demands something of us, you know, hmm. um, but also it requires us to have responsibility. So the secondary part of that conversation about about why it's not positive thinking is that um, positive thinking says that you're fine in a, in a sense that you, it almost, it's just, it's almost the opposite of original sin in the sense that original sin says you're not fine. You can't really do anything about it. And positive thinking says you're fine. You don't really need to do anything about it. And original blessing says you're beloved. There are lots of things you mm. need to work on because you're here for that. Mm. And it will give you meaning and purpose in life to design a life that will bring goodness to the world, but you're asked to do it. That's your responsibility. And so um, it shouldn't feel like a burden if we rest enough in original blessing to know that we're loved regardless. It should help us keep going. It should give us the perseverance to know that we can, we can rest in the arms of God, knowing that God understands when we can't do it and when we fail doing it and when we do it wrongly, when we're trying to do it the right way. Um, But, I hope it keeps our feet to the fire in the sense that we we actually remember that we have work to do as humans. That actually is perfectly leading into what I wanted to ask. Um, I just wanted to say that what you're talking about with positive thinking and everything reminds me of Teilhard Desjardins a little bit because a lot of people think he was he's just sort of too positive, and uh, just as a little. A little point about that. He was actually a stretcher bearer in World War One, mm. and also um, was exiled to China. And a lot of his greatest work came from those places. And so it, he gets a little bit misunderstood until you get into the context of his life and what he saw and witnessed. But I... I I would like to also kind of um, make a little bit more of a point on on the flip side of of positive thinking, which you're saying it's sort of the same coin of original sin. And that is that recently I know someone who um, is connected to the UN and they're doing this incredible project right now on um, kind of trying to cover some of the really important bases in uh in, in a holistic way about what's going on with um, why we're in poverty and don't need to be and all of this. And someone else uh, I know uh, said, well, I guess uh, if you want to try and govern sinful nature, you can try, you know, that kind of thing about this project that's going on with the UN. And and I think that uh, the the comment of if you want to try well i guess if you want to try you know mm-hmm. to me is this um it's sort of like uh, almost like living your whole life in this shame based stagnancy that mm. like it, 
because like um, even as you're, we're talking about this positive thinking, um, Danielle, you you quote Marianne Williamson, who can often be understood as yes. you know, someone who would be in that world. But you quote her uh, and how she says that it's it's our light, not our darkness that frightens us most. And I just want to sort of emphasize what you're saying about agency here, because it really is that like it's mm-hmm. it, either one of the other two. These other options are sort of naive in the sense that you can opt out and, you know, throw your trash out the window because you're just an old sinner or or, or you live in this sort of, um, you know, ascended, elevated reality that's like you know, naive about the fact that when you're in at this density, like Terre Desjardins said, you know, we're, when we're at this density, we are, you know, going to experience the jagged edges of of life. But it's also where we get to embrace our, you know, we, we could lose our children, but it's where we get to embrace them. So it's just, I don't know, I wanted to put, just put a, a, some emphasis on that, uh, that flip side of of agent like this lack of agency in particularly in this original sin world as well because sure we can judge the positive thinkers and whatever but really uh, by and large that's not where I'm coming from and it's certainly I don't think where Marcus is coming from we were steeped in the other so to sort of call out our own lack of agency and yes. and sort of where we I don't know, just where we we get complacent in it. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's exactly right. And I would maybe even say, to steal your, your language, like the thing that both original sin and too much positive thinking are missing is the, is the sense of agency. And I think in original blessing, that's what I, what the beauty of it is and the the strength and power behind it. Because again, talking about how, when I look at my spiritual heroes, how grounded they are to do the work that they've done so beautifully and powerfully in the world. It's because they have had a sense of agency. And I think that comes from being grounded in original blessing, that sense that they, they trust that they have what they need to do what they've been Mm. asked to do in the world. And until you feel that you, you have what you need um, until you feel like you, you are naturally and belovedly prepared and capable um, I don't think you see that sort of spiritual power. I don't. I think when people step into their spiritual power, it's because they have rested in their blessing. And so, I mean, in the work that I do now, especially moving towards spiritual direction, that's the thing that I spend my time telling people is, you know, going back to trusting and honing your own intuition. Because the other huge tragedy that original sin has done is that it has has told us to not trust our human intuition. And there are times when we have to we have to discern, right? Is it our intuition or is it our, you know, selfish longings or needs, right? We have to start to understand how to discern between that. But the problem is that we've become we haven't discipled people and and um taught people how to do that, how to discern between whether it's a need or a want or whether it's a soul longing or a a ego longing. And we are in a bad place as a Mm. human race Mm. because we have not cultivated that, that intuitive knowing 
within ourselves. And the place where that, that work begins is with original blessing. When we start to, to recognize and sit in our own belovedness and acknowledge that this comes from, this comes from God. It's this gift that I'm given and that I receive freely and abundantly day after day. And that I have this potential that, that as I say in the book, blessing is not just an origin, but a destination and a calling Um, that I rest Mm. in the origin so that I can live into the calling. And um, so for me, agency is absolutely everything. It's the reason that I wrote this book. It's the reason that um, I continue to do the work that I do and that I love to work with people because gosh, when you see someone's soul, light up and you see them trust that, that is when people do beautiful work in the world. I mean, that is when, you know, tears come to my eyes and I just think this person is about to do something amazing, you know, and it, it breaks my heart Mm. that, that when I look around, um, that sense of, well, good luck is such a cynical, um, rejection of the beauty of our souls to know what we are meant to do. You know, the idea that we don't trust the Holy Spirit within us to to call us to the work that God has for us in the world. You know, it it, it breaks my heart. And to to use a a Buddhist phrase, um, for me, it's an act of of awakening. When we awaken to the agency that we have within us, the fact that we are. Um, born with these tents of wisdom, and it's our job to to walk with them and to carry them and to start setting them up. Um, we become aware, we become awakened, and that awakening is not only a gift for our own lives internally. We feel like we have purpose, but it's also a gift to to the world because then we can actually live in our purpose in a way that keeps us going, even when we're working on long term things like poverty. <laughs> that um, that are not solutions that we're going to come to overnight. So I think that's what the world needs more than anything is for people to, to awaken and to become aware of, of their, the goodness of their intuition. But it also requires us to teach um, the wisdom of that, that discernment process that, that we've, we've neglected, I think, in so many of our spiritual traditions. Mm. Alana, you have a you have a song uh, called uh, I think it's called "There Is Goodness Inside." I wonder. It just feels like that song is like a. It's such an echo of what Danielle is is teaching us here in terms of finding an agency that comes out of the interior original goodness within us. You want to just sing into the conversation. <laughs> sure. Um, I would just say, too, that to give the context for the song, um, I was actually reminded a lot, Danielle, of your work when I, I was approached by someone in Ireland named Noel Keating to do this project that I'm working on right now, which is, um, it's called Meditation with Children, and it's based on a, a project he did for five years in a, 150 schools Uh, elementary schools in Ireland. And it was uh, teaching centering prayer to children. Hmm. And, and so a lot of these schools are continuing on with with that work on a on a weekly basis, some some of them daily. And this song comes out of a number of the children through the their their silence uh, sitting in silence, discovering in themselves 
that they're good. So it's just, it echoes a lot of what uh, your work is, Daniel, that these children are, are, are like encountering what's true about themselves just by sitting in stillness for, you know, I think it's about one minute per age, uh, like per year of age. Right. So if they're seven, they sit for seven minutes. And it's just this um, this beautiful thing. Another, another boy who was 12 said um, that meditation felt like uh, a map and that the destination is who you really are. And there's just this beautiful... It's like if you really, it's really Noel's, Noel's work is more than, than uh, meets the eye because if you, if you trust in what these children's experiences are, they're, they're really encountering that blessing. So mm. are these just, religious I, schools or are these public um, schools? Uh, they're, I would probably venture to say most of them would be of Catholic origin but it it's very like there's a there's a limit to the religious language that's involved so it's basically teaching uh the teaching a, that for them to ch- choose a word if they are losing sort of their minds wandering or the thoughts are are uh you know cuz you know a centering prayer it's a little bit different than uh than uh, other types of meditation because you're allowing the thought to come and you're taught to let it go versus right. stopping them at the past, which is a whole other conversation. But there's actually something quite remarkable to that. So anyway, there uh, the language isn't overtly Christian, but um, there's uh, there's comfort that people are comfortable with the term God and that kind of thing. So um I don't know if that answers your question, Marcus, but I'm just going to play the... I'll play it. There is goodness inside. There is kindness inside. If we sit for a while, we will feel it. We will know it. There is good inside there is kindness inside if we sit for a while we will feel it we will know it so trust in this goodness and trust in this kindness and when trusting gets hard sit in quiet You will find that there is goodness inside. There is kindness inside. If we sit for a while, we will feel it. We will know it. There is goodness inside. There is kindness inside. If we sit for a while, We will feel it, we will know it. So trust in this goodness, and trust in this kindness. And when trusting gets hard, sit in quiet. You will find that there is goodness inside. There is kindness. 
peace inside. Mmm. I love that. Beautiful. I began the 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 conversation with an observation or an image of of two women, Hildegard uh, and her friend, and this self-inflicted wound. Uh, and I think I'd like to sort of close with another image from the world of women. Um, my my wife and I were th- were through it now, but we 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 really got into watching uh, Call the Midwife on uh, on Netflix uh, for a while there. And I, it, it always struck me how the kind of the arc, the dramatic arc of the storyline uh, of those of those episodes, you know, there was there was always moving towards this this climatic moment of life and death struggle, uh, the way many other shows do, except that the life and death struggle wasn't between two adversaries duking it out, but instead uh, it was this this struggle of of bringing life into the world uh, and really a struggle of love and a struggle of uh you know the midwife is there basically saying the same things you've been saying to us Danielle in terms of like you have what it, it what is necessary within you you know what to do um trust lean push and yet this uh the sense of of that suffering is part of the struggle but but that it's 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 fundamentally grounded in in this reality this radical givenness of of love and i i just wonder how far behind we are in this conversation about blessing and sin uh because that conversation has been dominated by men for the last 2000 years <laughs> um any any comment whatsoever you would have on that I do think it's a beautiful imagery, the the idea of birth as, you know, this this metaphor for life that you there's so much goodness and joy and there are a few moments of excruciating pain. And then there are eighteen years of goodness and joy mixed in with a few moments of excruciating parental pain, right? Mm. And that that is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then it just is goes on and on and on. And that that is, you know, that is just the the beauty and wonder and bittersweet nature of human life. And um, for me, original blessing is the best way I know to honor all of that, all of it. Mm. The the parts in our life where we just, we're overcome with the joy and wonder of small and big and beautiful things. And sometimes when we're undone with the, the suffering of things. Um, so for me, a spirituality that gives space to all of that is really important. Um, and I think, you know, for, for men and women, we have limited our capacity to see the holiness and goodness. Um, not to go too much on a, a side tangent, but as as we were talking earlier, I was, as one of you guys was was speaking, I was thinking about just the the downside of the the concept of missions, you know, this idea that we're going to take God yeah. to other people, right? Um, and oh, that's, wow. uh-huh. it's another aspect of of the violence that we've mm-hmm. done in the name of of this this 
outside, separated, disconnected perspective um, that led to, you know, this kind of, kind of missions culture where we think that we have the way to understand God instead of honoring um, the way that they already experience God, who is already there. Where can we go from God's presence? Um, the idea that we have to bring that presence is is so heartbreaking, really. It's selfish, but it's Mm. also, you know, and it's violent, but it's also heartbreaking. So for me, you know, a huge portion of of the work of Original Blessing is re-sacralizing the world um, Mm. and remembering that, that that sacredness is in hospice chaplaincy rooms and it's in birthing rooms and it's in classrooms and that there is nowhere where honoring the sacredness of both the beauty and suffering of human life will not take us where we need to go. You know, I think, Mm. I think we are, the sin of our disconnection comes when we don't honor that sacredness. It's when we lose our way and forget what our intuition and our soul is telling us. And if we can begin by understanding the the sacredness, that there is goodness within and there is kindness within, and if we sit for a while, we can find it. I think if we teach ourselves that, if we relearn that and teach our children that, you know, we will, we'll, we would be able to create a world of blessing. And for me, that's, that's good and right work. Mm. When you said mission, I just have to add one little anecdote. I was just recently, uh, uh, one of the elders where I work was, was telling me about the, the grief in indigenous community and the division that came from, uh, missionaries, uh, implanting this idea that a child that would die without baptism would have no place in heaven, mm-hmm. um, which is tied exactly to the, the doctrine of original sin and uh and so so he would get he he was a pastor himself um so he would get these frantic calls uh in the middle of the night you know if, especially if there was sickness you know come quick baptize this baby and and then families uh got divided up in these communities basically based on which missionary had the fastest dog sled uh and so you you have you know within one family you have three four denominations uh and and the splintering and of of these uh, closely knit, uh, extended clan communities through that um, is something that's you know still uh, to this day difficult to uh, to get beyond because we've sliced and diced these communities into Lutheran, Anglican, Catholic, etc. Um, so I I just want to thank you for for naming and tying that comment about the violence of, of Christian missions. I think that was, that was very apt. Yeah. Imagine, imagine what would have happened if just the closest pastor came and just sat with them and was present with them in the midst of that grief and suffering that they were experiencing. Right. That's, that's the actual hard work of being a pastor is, is running the dog sled to be with people in their suffering instead of creating this sort of fear induced, um, presence yeah. you know yeah. rich, ritualizing the fear instead of ritualizing the grief mm. um so mm. yeah yeah and then turning the funeral into a, a chance to spread the gospel <laughs> right <laughs> anyway which is oh, one yeah. of my hugest pet peeves <laughs> of all time yeah right oh yeah yeah because yeah. there's so many bums in the seat 
Mm-hmm. One more slam dunk, quick. It's a captive audience, <laughs> right. Yeah, instead of saying this yeah. is a captive audience to remind us of the fragility of life and all the beauty of that and how, it, you know, life, death brings meaning to life in ways that, that, that help us get some clarity and, yeah, to honor the sacredness of that and the sacredness of grief and what it teaches us and how it opens us and makes us vulnerable to our own feelings of sadness and the, the way that that connects us to the way that other people are suffering. You know, there's there's so much there. And for me, that's the work that that clergy and ministers and and spiritual leaders should be doing is to, to try to open up those spaces instead of um, make them places of fear or opportunity. Mm. Well, Danielle, we want to bless you in your work of blessing. Um this is a charism that sort of started, it felt like almost by accident. Probably it wasn't really, but, um, it's become a thing we do and, and it just feels really good. And I think it f- feels especially good with, with an author of a book called Original Blessing. So we, we, Alana and I, I will just, uh, kind of read you this blessing over the phone and you can just marinate in it and, uh, and then we'll, we'll call this good enough, uh, <laughs> more than good enough for our conversation with you, Danielle Schroyer. So here we go. We bless you, Danielle Schroyer. Blessing carrier and prison breaker. May goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. And may you dwell in the house of the Lord your whole life long. May you live in that house you have named so well and called us all home to, proclaiming that our love has a home, and it is not with the ways that go against God in the world, but the way of God in the world. It is with life and not death. It is with love and not destruction. May you live in that home. At home in your own skin. At home in the universe. At home with God. So may it be, so may it be. Amen. 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 Thanks, Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for that sacred space and for that blessing. I'm grateful to receive it. We're grateful for your work and for this conversation so very much. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. There is goodness inside. There is kindness inside If we sit for a while We will feel it, we will know it There is goodness inside There is kindness inside This is who you are This is who I am So trust in this goodness And trust in this kindness And when trusting gets hard Sit in quiet You will find that There is goodness inside There is kindness inside If we sit for a while We will feel it, we will know it There is goodness
inside there is kindness inside this is who you are this is who i am so trust in this goodness and trust in this kindness and when trusting gets hard sit in quiet you will find that there is goodness inside there is kindness inside if we sit for a while we will feel it we will know it there is goodness inside there is kindness inside this is who you are this is who i There is goodness inside There is kindness inside If we sit for a while We will feel it We will know it There is goodness inside There is kindness inside This is who you are this is who i am so trust in this goodness and trust in this kindness and when trusting gets hard sit in quiet you will find that there is goodness inside there is kindness inside we are the ferment you are too thanks for listening until next time breathe consciously and with love eat consciously and with love tend the creation Attend the divine. And name the real consciously and with love. Peace and all good. <laughs>